We're back! We're back! It's distraction. I'm Drew. That's Rob. Hi, Rob! Hey, man. How's it going? Want to tell I everybody mean, where you are? Yeah. I, well, my my travels are uh, of little consequence uh, yeah. this week. You know, I mean, you say, how you doing? It's another week where it's like, that's always a relative question. I, so, it's always such a relative question that it's a cliche to say it's a relative question. So, uh, you know, it's... It's not great. Uh, I feel very numb about Texas. Um, yeah. And we'll we'll write about it and cover it on the site. But I think um, Roth and uh, our producer Brandon and I agreed that you know it. There's really no way to talk about this up front without it having being weird to segue into talking about Dubs Mavericks or some shit like that. You know, it's just gonna yeah. be like, uh-huh. like it's just not gonna work you know i think if you're listening to this you probably know where roth and i stand on this issue and we wish something could be done and we will vote we will vote as instructed mm, yeah. uh donate right to our congressman do all the things that we can do and watch as they piss it all away so that should be yeah fun. Kind of tough to talk about even outside of the context of eventually having to steer the shit back to the NBA playoffs and the redraftables or whatever. It's well, not uh, the good. The good news is that uh, we're on this. It's funny that you know. I mean, it's ironic that we started this podcast. It's literally called the distraction. We found in the past few weeks that like it's actually kind of better when we stick to sports. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh yeah. yeah, sports. We're sports fans. Maybe we should talk more about sports. That's a pretty good idea to that end i do want to talk to you about my new enemy roth i a, apart from mitch mcconnell who will always be my enemy i have yes a, i was an, gonna say i have another person to add to the enemy portfolio which is so this is thick. quite a dossier yeah he's got here too been, so anyway i saw see it you it's a podcast but he's waving this giant accordion folder around it's like <laughs> weirdly wet <laughs> I have binders full of enemies to use. <laughs> the world's oldest political reference. I, uh, um, you and I and the rest of the Defector staff, we were all in New York last week, and we all went to Brooklyn, to Coney Island, yeah, and we saw Madone. Brooklyn Cyclones game. And my daughter with, was with me. I highly recommend business travel with a child. I can't do it any other way now, even though I'm traveling alone right now. She's like a pretty grown child, though. Like, she was out she, there yeah, yeah. shopping she, independently, like, doing, doing, doing grown things. She drove there because she needed to knock her, like, she needed to knock hours off of her, uh, like her log so she could get her license because she has a permit right now. And then someone at dinner was like, hey, I heard you had your, you made your daughter drive you to New York. I was like, no, she wanted to. I didn't ask for a fucking chauffeur. Like, get out of here. Anyway, we go to the Brooklyn Cyclones game and, uh, and my daughter runs ahead because I wanted to get a chili dog first at Nathan's because only in New York. And, uh, and I walk in, and the first thing I hear <laughs> Drew is, walked into Nathan's and demanded a real New York slice. He yeah. was asked to leave immediately. The, f- the first thing I hear is, like, the loudest, shrillest, like, most middle-aged dude shrieking happy birthday to a child, like a, like a deranged fucking <laughs> clown show. Like, happy birthday! And it was like, and my ears, I'm deaf, so counterintuitively, like, loud noises, I don't. I don't. I can't just wave them off because I'm deaf. They're actually more penetrating, and this guy's voice was like a fucking spike driven right into my cerebellum. And yeah. I was like, I was like, I hate whoever is singing the song, and I want him dead. And it turned out it was the Brooklyn Cyclones' longtime mascot, uh, Guy Zoda, who does not go by Guy Zoda. He goes by the name King Henry, and he wears Jerry Lawler's fake king crown, and he walks around the stadium, like just talking as loudly as he can. And I know I'm as like, that's very hypocritical of me to say. <laughs> You're allowed to, to be like this guy that yells all the time. I don't care for it. Yeah. Just because you yourself are a guy that yells all the time. Does, I think if anything, it makes your opinion more valuable on this. It was like, I, if, if there was a guy that walked around in glasses, muttering to himself about like Edwin Diaz and barbarism. And I was like, I don't, I think he's overdoing it. It would mean more coming from me. <laughs> this is true. But I was like, I was like, I really hate that guy. And I was trying to tune him out. And then at one point he came over to us and I was like, Oh, King Henry, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. And he, he <laughs> like, he dropped the shriek and he started talking like a normal person. And I was like, oh, he's like an actual person. And he's like, listen, after the game uh, next week, there's going to be all you can drink for two hours. 
at the before the game. <laughs> you guys like to drink, right? And so he was pitching us on a fucking drink the, deal. You, you're doing him a favor by making him the oh, I'm very lowbrow guy from The Simpsons. Like that is yes. <laughs> that's generous. That's now my that's now my default New York accent for everybody. And I was like, I was like, oh, I kind of like this guy because he wants to get us drunk. And then he went back out onto the field and like the PA was like jacked up to like 11, and I still could keep hearing his voice between innings. So I was like, all I wanted was to for the baseball to happen so I could not hear motherfucking King Henry squawking by a goddamn yeah. Coney Island roller coaster. King Henry has been there for, like, the first time I went to a Cyclones game was, like, probably their first season, so more than a decade ago. Uh, well, more than a decade ago. And I think he was still there. It's just, like, it was definitely... The choice to bring him in, like, teams do all kinds of things. When I was a kid, the Nets used to have a guy at their games that my friends and I called walking around guy. And walking around guy would just kind of like pace around the stadium. Like he was kind of a little bit smoother than you'd like in his general aesthetic presentation and voice. There's a certain type of New Jersey guy that's like that. Like people who kind of like talk like Howard Stern in real life. They're like, I mean, that's every question. New Jersey guy. Yes. Basically. No, but there's a, diff- there's a, yes, to a certain that you, extent. That you are from New Jersey is like a massive upset. Honestly. I well, that's why, in the sense that I have I have short hair and don't ask good questions in interviews. Be- like because certain. you're understated, and no yes, New Jerseyan is understated. <clears throat> not even, like the land of New Jersey is not understated. It's true. So walking around guy was like a like the type of New Jersey person that's like, what can I do to get you in this Buick Enclave today? Like that vibe. <laughs> King Henry <laughs> is a different sort of approach. Like he's he is from Staten Island. And as you said, like he is just like an air horn that is stuck in the on position. Like it's yes. like if Gilbert, it's like if Gilbert Godfrey didn't have jokes. Like if he was just like constantly walking into retail settings and being like, "I would like a grandma slice and a coke," <laughs> you know, like he's not bad. So not bad. King Henry uh, has been like this, and I had forgotten because I don't go to Cyclones games are are far. They're fun. Oh but my it's god! Like, it's a, it was so far. Holy shit! But it's, yeah, it was like basically like it's the end of the Q train. And if I had taken the train home, I didn't. I got a ride with Jasper and his wife. If I'd taken the Q train back, it would have been one stop from the end of the Q train. Like I would have taken it the entire length of oh the line. My. You to went, get there. You could have fallen asleep. You told me. Someone told me because I my daughter and I were going to take an Uber. They were like, "Well, the subway is probably just as fast." And like we, first of all. That was absolutely no. not true. And then that secondly, we get in the car and we're driving for so long on a fucking highway. I'm like, did we go back home to Maryland? Like how? Because yeah. fu- it was my first time in Coney Island and I knew it was far because I've seen the map. I'm not a fucking idiot. But it was like, once you experience the farness, it's quite breathtaking. It really yeah. is. There's a moment when you're getting on the, like just basically off the local roads and onto I guess the BQE, where you can like sort of see lower Manhattan and you're like, that is fucking far away, dude. Like, it that is. is it's, really... like, it's like when the skyline first appears when you're coming up on the Jersey Turnpike and you're like, yeah. there it is, but you're still in the car for another two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a mountain in the distance. Like it looks close. It is not close. Like, oh, I can so swim th- that far. The thing that I, and I don't want to take food out of King Henry's mouth, you know, like he's got a job do. to do. He's got to try to upsell a bunch of bloggers on the prospect of a boozy brunch before an <laughs> afternoon Cyclones game. Real real hard task to convince bloggers to drink. That was one. There's two different versions of the all-you-can-drink experience at a Cyclones game. And one of them is, like, they'll set up a keg for you outside, like, behind the right field fence. And you got two hours to try to finish it with all your homies. And then the other one, it, there was one that he was describing as, like, a more sophisticated affair, like, which was the one where you could have mimosas, you yeah, could get right. a waffle station. He didn't like did, really did call it a boozy brunch, like, like classing it up for, like, for all, of like, the Samanthas and Mirandas that happened to be sitting yeah, with us, right. which was zero. <laughs> There's not, you're still, like, at a Cyclones game. Like, as soon as you're done with your, like, classy event, with the mimosas and the little whatever past hors d'oeuvres. That, that means then you go downstairs and you watch the high A team for the Mets play the high A team for the Phillies in a game that will feature three fielding errors at a minimum. You know, it's funny. So we went to Coney Island, and since I had been there for the first time, it was the first time I had been there. Like, I laid eyes on the amusement park, and I see the water. I was like, this is fucking great. It's amazing. I, I got to bring my kids here, you know, like when it's open for the summer. But that was that was the thing. The amusement park wasn't open yet because it's it yeah, was not was open. yet officially summer, right? And I have to think that the energy and the vibe of Coney Island 
changes considerably once summer comes around and you go in the middle of everything. Yeah, it's so it's actually kind of fun during high summer, but it is packed. Like it is an experience of being on the beach that I, I guess I sort of had it because we would go to, you know, Belmar and when I was a kid on the Jersey Shore, which is like you know a working person's beach. There's a lot of people on it. The experience of being on the beach at Coney Island during high summer is like it's like being on the beach on a bus. Like you have about the same amount of personal space. Everybody's around you. Like somebody's listening to like like a family is there with their kids and then right next to them someone is just listening to like Kaya's my neck my back on a boombox. <laughs> like it's a very like <laughs> it's a very like not like claustrophobic but you're just very aware of the fact that you are in a city in a free public space. Have you gone in the water in Coney Island? I got my feet wet. The water is not the color you want the beach to be. <laughs> like, so it much. is kind of like cho- chocolate milkshake is the first thing that comes to mind. Like Does it have, like, the, the, the skein of, like, gasoline rainbow fluid, like, on top? Yeah, of I it. think it, it did. I mean, when I was younger, I remember the first time I went out there, when I first moved to New York, there's a thing called, like, the Mermaid Parade, which was very, like, kind of, you know, not my style, but I lived in South Brooklyn at the time. It was easy to go there. And it's, like, you know, kind of burlesque you know, like... Kind of more like the old way that the the sort of amusement park area used to be. I feel like I've fine, seen that. I, I think I've, I feel like I've seen that parade in like three different mob movies. It's right. Point. I was yeah. There's always or like a <laughs> like, Neil Simon play or some shit. Yeah, like Matthew Broderick is like trying to, to convince a girl that he's somebody he's not in front of the mermaid parade. Yes, the um. So that was the first time that I had seen that beach, and I was like, yeah, I'll go in. And I remember coming up to it, and it wasn't that there was like the oil, like, sort of stuff on it. What I remember was, like, and this is a thing that you can see, you know, you see it at the Jersey Shore, just a lot of foam. A lot of, like, sort of strange, like, kind of egg cream-style foam, where you're, like, that's not... Like, ocean foam can be concerning sometimes. Yeah. It's like, is that alive? Yeah. And so, the time I was there last, with I saw my friends were there with their kids, and one of their young sons had found, like, a crab... You know, like living in some rocks near the beach, and he was like, wanted to bring it home. And they were like, no, like, that's not how it works. For one thing, we live in Maryland. Like, this <laughs> crab is not gonna, it's not gonna work. We have and better crab in Maryland. <laughs> but they were also, you can see, right? I was like, you can't even eat it. What are you right. gonna put Old Bay on it? But they were trying to like convince him to put it back without being like, buddy, you have no idea where that crab has been, like what that crab has seen. Like it lives in the water at Coney Island. Like you don't want anything to do with it. Stop touching it. But it's hard to convey that to a six-year-old. That's like when I was in the, the Caribbean with my family, as one is, and I, we were walking in the water and I saw a starfish, a live starfish, and I picked it up. Nice. And I had forgotten, like I, I always saw of starfish as like the star is the shell and the fish lives inside it. Like, you know, that, like a conch or some shit yeah. like that. But, like, that's not true. Like, this, like, the star moved. And I was like, this is so cool. I took it out of the water and I showed the kids. I was like, this is so bitching. And another kid who was not my kid was like, you're not supposed to take them out of the water. That kills them. And I was like, oh, my God. And I dropped it. <laughs> but I might have killed a starfish. Oh, man. Yeah. So I feel. Does I feel, it actually kill them, though? I feel like they'd be able to hang in there for a little while. I, you know what? I'm a man. And as a, as a, I always assume that anything man does to any animal kills it. That's that, probably true. Like, yeah. even if you pick it up, you have given it smallpox, and it's going to fucking die. Like, right, because you're just, like, covered with, like, human germs. Like, yes. you're somehow, like, you're sweating out, like, whatever was in Diet Coke, like, the aspartame is the thing that kills it. Like, yes. not anything that's on you. Yeah, yeah right. The, the surface oil of your skin actually prevents it from breathing, like, or something yep. like that. Like, it's going to die. But I was like, I was like, ah, oh, man, I, I wish I hadn't killed that starfish. But it was such a cool starfish. So I have, this is, uh, I'll, I'll tell this story briefly. Um, the, the town that where my father-in-law lives in Maine has like, a, it's a big like lobstering town, but it has also like a little, you know, sort of like aquatic resource center where you could like take your kid if you're there on vacation or if you're, you know, a school teacher and they can learn a little bit about like lobsters and other, you know, animals that live in the, the water up there. And it's, it's, I, it's rain day shit. Right? So yes, but so I'm old. Like everybody knows that I'm old. I'm a I'm a grown ass man. Uh, like I got hair in my ears, and uh, you know, I'm forty. Mysteri- mysterious back pains. I'm a yeah. I'm a man. I'm forty. Right. Four. 
And I, every year that we're there, I try to make a point of going to the touch tank in that resource center because there's always some cool shit in it that I've never, I got to hold a sea cucumber, one of nature's most disgraceful creatures, and I loved it. It was such an adorable, wormy, miserable little thing. What I like about sea cucumbers is that when threatened, they will barf themselves inside out to try to disgust whatever their predator is out of eating them. It looks yeah. it, it looks like a wet turd that can piss. That's what a yes. That's what it, it did. Cucumber. It did piss too. When I was holding it, like it was just kind of I don't know. Like again, very dignified animal. Like it's getting handed to a blogger, and it's like this is the most terrifying thing imaginable. That's like uh, like whenever this I go to the sad zoo, man is going to harm me. <laughs> like <laughs> the most the most thrilling thing I can ever see when I go to a zoo. Like if I'm being honest, is when an animal takes a dump. So like yeah. like I see the elephant. And seeing an elephant's really fucking cool. But then if the elephant takes a dump, I'm like, I got my money's worth. That was yeah. awesome. Like, like just, just <laughs> the a, majesty. A bolus the size of my own head dropping. <laughs> it also really eight it, feet. It brings home, you know, the the size of it in a way that if you're a sufficiently dumb person, as I you should know by now that you are talking to somebody like that. Like, there's one thing to see like a rhinoceros and be like, that thing's a lot bigger than me. And then it like poops and you're like oh wow yeah all right i'm starting to i'm starting to see it now i'm starting to put it in perspective a little bit (laughs) let's talk about you know let's take a break and come back and talk about sports we'll be right back we're back now it is actually time for us to talk sports before we talk about I was having so much fun with a sea cucumber chat i I understand i understand this is what people want we have we have already Cross the tone deafness threshold by talking about sea cucumbers and about King Henry, whose job I will steal because I realize I'm testing out Roth. <laughs> I'm testing out a Harry Carey impression that I think works. I, I think I can take his job. So Cobbs one. Harry- Cobbs one. That's pretty good. So that's actually a Harry Carey imitation and not an imitation of Will Ferrell's Harry Carey imitation, which is no, what most no, of the because ones are. all right, when this is so. Look, we've already we've already fucked up and gotten off track anyway. So it's like when I was a kid, Jeff Cesario was a Minnesota comedian, and he did an impression of Minnesota local sportscaster. So he'd be like, "Hi, everybody," and that's what Harry Carey sounded like too. He's like, "Hi, everybody, welcome to Wrigley Field." So that said, let's talk. Actually, let's talk about baseball and let's talk about the Anaheim Angels scandal let's try to explain this to people if we can i'm not oh, certain I that can't. i can't cuz um because this just week uh it caused the mayor of Anaheim Harry Sidhu and i hope i pronounced that name correctly it it compelled him to resign because this is and i'm i hope i'm getting this right raw but essentially what happened was that in exchange for Campaign contributions. And this is all still being worked out in terms of the accusatory process. Uh, the mayor of Anaheim gave inside information to the Angels while negotiating with the city about getting uh, a new stadium, right? Like, uh, and I, 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 I'm, I've never heard. I've heard of insider trading, you know, on Wall Street. I've never heard of political insider trading. Like, this is like new territory for me in terms of graft and corruption. Very exciting. Yeah, it's what's kind of thrilling about it too is that usually when you see somebody doing stuff like this, it's to enrich themselves, like with money or with you know, yes. like sort of stock holdings. And in this case, it kind of almost seems like it's just on principle, like that this person recognized a kindred spirit in Angel's owner, Artie Marino, and was like, I'm going to help you get over on the people that elected me to the extent possible because I believe it's the right thing to do. He's living his ideals. It's just sort of like when you ascend to that office, you're just like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to fuck people over on behalf of the angels who no one gives a fuck about. Right. I just say the first time that the angels have like remotely seemed promising in a long while and it had to be the sort of like, this isn't even the like, I think with corruption, you kind of like as a sort of person growing up in the culture, I associate corruption with like those steel, like the kind of like stainless steel suitcases and someone unsnaps it and there's a bunch of like just uh bound wads of money in there and they're Ooh, like, an attache case. yeah and they're like it's that. all here you know that sort of yeah. thing and that's I've not what it is man it's just like fucking used car dealers like calling each yeah. other on the phone and like just 
absolutely sloppy to the point of non-existent opsec. Just like cutting, yeah. just doing deals. Like cutting. I mean, to a certain extent, that's where like Trump was actually like illustrative of like what this is really like. Like none of these guys are even good at being corrupt, but they don't have to be. They can just sort of go out right. there and do whatever it is that they want. And then like, what's the worst thing? I guess like mayors do sometimes get in trouble for stuff like this. I mean, all these other. Well, guys, that's what I was gonna say is that. They don't. Like, Bill de Blasio never resigned. Like, no. of, we have so many shitty mayors. Like, I cannot tell you, I can't decide who's the worst fucking mayor in America right now. Like, your mayor is shit. Chicago's mayor is total shit. Yeah. Minneapolis's mayor is garbage. And then this is the one who resigns? Yeah. So, like, every other mayor seems to be fucking bulletproof. I don't get it. It does seem like this is the sort of thing that, to the extent that anyone goes down for anything anymore, that, like... This sort of thing where it is like like favor trading, like that sort of corruption, like the Blagojevich mode of... Yeah, like, it's very 90s. Yeah. It's very 90s corruption. And it is the sort of thing that I think feds like making a case against because it is like the sort of... You can do it with wiretaps and you can do it with like you flip a guy who testifies against a guy. And like if it's if you're still kind of like... If that's the version of law enforcement that we have, which like... At some level, there's law enforcement where it's just, like, orcs that, like, are just sort of driving around, and periodically they get out and, you know, swing a hammer on somebody. But then the other That's level— That's only, like, 80% of law enforcement. Yeah, but then the other level of it is these guys, like, people that are just, like, prosecutor types. And so, like, presumably, you know, this is about the maximum of their capacity, but it is in their wheelhouse. So this is, like—I guess if you're going to be a mayor and you want to get away with doing stuff like this— just don't, I mean, whatever. I'm just going to say don't do it on the phone or whatever. But, like, this is all just kind of, like, you, you probably will get away with it anyway. Well, I mean, it's like, and this ties back to pretty much every issue, but if you want to get into politics in America, it's much more gratifying if you join in on the corruption than if you actually try to do good because all the corrupt people are going to fuck you over anyway or, like, just not help you. Yeah. And so, so it's like, you know, why be mayor? What other incentives are you, like, if you want to be mayor, like, to help the citizens of your city, you're not going to be able to do that. Like, they're not going to let you do yeah. that. You're, and so the average person that as, ascends to the morality doesn't want to do that. Right. They're and like, they're, nah. they believe that they should be mayor, but they can't tell you why they, I mean, beyond that, like, you know, it seems like the right thing to do. Like, where it's like Eric Adams' whole argument is that he, like, as the guy who, like, owns the most bracelets and knows the most about crystals of anyone in New York, like, by rights, that should be his job. Like, the, the Sidhu guy, from what I can tell, and Diana wrote a, a good sort of recap of this in, uh, on the website, and I'll link to it in the she did, post yes. that we do. The way that he got into this, so this is, like, a different type of, like, chiseling, cheesy mayor. Apparently, the initial thing that got him in trouble was that he owns a helicopter— and then tried to register it in Arizona so as to avoid having to pay California helicopter taxes. Like, so he's that type of guy. Ooh, Not to say that, you know, true. again, again, like New York City's mayor, like as far as I'm concerned, has been living in North Bergen, New Jersey for, you know, at least five years in like a weird townhouse. And that's like the best case scenario. Yeah. But he might, he might not, have, he might have a home in like. The Cayman Islands. Right. Actually, not, not <laughs> yeah. in the United States itself. Yeah. But so in this case, it's like that level of, like, if you own a helicopter but don't want to pay taxes on it, if you're that level of, like, like just rich, scummy, like, not even, like, the fun kind of sociopath, just somebody that's, like, anything that you have to do in accordance with any rule is, like, you will literally die if you have to do it. <laughs> you just feel you feel taken. You feel like a sucker if you're pulled yeah. by the rules. So like that is a, a really bad type of mayor to wind up with. And I guess that like Blago was kind of like that too. Where you know like he had the you know the sort of I mean he was a governor, but I mean it was the, having that like sort of Eric Adams, Lori Lightfoot like main character of the world sort of delusion, but then also being like a guy that would be doing like three card Monty style scams if he had his own way and got pardoned for it. He did. He got pardoned. He got pardoned because it. he was he said nice things about uh, about um, Mr. Trump, which is again like maybe that's the uh, the new disruption here. Is Harry Sidhu's going to have to he's going to become a big Joe Brandon guy and get a uh, get a pardon and maybe make it onto um, what's the show where they make famous people live in a house together? 
That uh, isn't that Celebrity Big, Big it's Celebrity Brother? Big Brother. Yes. Or are you talking about Celebrity Rehab with Doctor? <laughs> right, I was gonna say, which is the one, the one that doesn't have the guy from Crazy Town in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was on there. Just oh my god, they, that's the thing. I have a problem now with uh, with the reality shows where if, if it's a celebrity reality show, I only know like, and it, I don't think this is because of age. Like, I only know like, we'll, we'll know like two of the three names like on the list, and yeah. then be like. Braden Snots is there, and I'm like, who the fuck? Yeah, there's one what? of the my, – my wife watches uh, Survivor, and there's a show that's on after it that's basically like famous person Survivor, and the people that I recognize on it are Mike Singletary and Ray Lewis, who are both – Of course. And, and uh, Metal World Peace is on it as well. So this is like a lot of extremely high-intensity individuals, like, and that's – all right. But yeah, then everyone else is like somebody where they're like, this is famously the most divorced person in American Idol history. I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the NBA conference finals. And actually, there's, there's actually there's not a ton to talk about because um, the Warriors, it seems to me, are on, on poised to have a gentleman's sweep. They lost last night to the Mavericks on the road. Um, but they were, were otherwise dominating that series. And then over on the other side, the Heat and the Celtics are exchanging blowouts, yeah. but it seems to me that the Celtics are the better team, and I told our own Luis Pius Pumar that whoever won game four would win the series, and he rolled his eyes, understandably so. But I, I'm wondering if I should maybe get over myself and enjoy these Celtics, Roth, because they're like a fun team, and they're good, and the players themselves are cool. Yeah, I think, so I was actually talking, there's a listener DM me about this. I think that everybody that listens to this has been familiar with your work for long enough to know that you are not faking it on the Boston thing. But this, I'm not, but you know what? It can get a little grating. It, it can. Old. Well, I, you know, I think it's also one of those deals where like you have to, you kind of got to pick your spots with it. Like the Celtics are awfully good. They're an amazing basketball team to watch, except for when they're randomly getting blown out by the heat by, you know, whatever, 22 points, which as you mentioned, has been oh. every other game they've played. I do like that. But it is, it's still tough. I mean, like, they're a part of uh, sports culture, fandom, whatever thing that, um, you know, we've been hating since we were kids. Like, it's hard That's to right. just sort of look past that and be like, well, but Jalen Brown is cool. Like, Jalen Brown is cool, but you got a right to decide that um, you want to pretend that's not the case because it's easier, <laughs> you know, like to make that rhyme with the rest of your, your life as a fan. I, the but thing, it's like, you know, if I'm like, I'm like, oh, Bill Simmons sucks. Bill Simmons? Like, no, I don't think I don't think people under thirty even know who the fuck he is. Yeah, like, well, they know or, him as a podcast. They probably don't know who I am either. But yeah, huh? and he's I, just a podcast. He hasn't written anything in years, yeah. like literal years. So, I you know I could see a person like my kids. They don't know who the fuck he is. Like, because what they're not going to listen to his podcast. They're not going to listen to him talking to like I don't know. Liam Neeson and asking Liam Neeson like the stupidest possible questions right. you could ask Liam Neeson like your wife died what was that like you know like, <laughs> that's, you, that's not gonna lie I was thinking if, if my son got taken how terrible that yeah would be. that's right uh, of the last eighteen playoff games Roth thirteen have finished with double digit point margins the average now, if you add them all up I think it was like the average margin of victory is like nineteen points yeah why why is this ha this is supposed to be the most competitive time. On the NBA calendar, what is happening? It's bizarre here? too because this isn't one of those things where I mean, say what you will about the Mavericks, like they, I didn't think that they were good enough to go to the Western Conference Finals. They're definitely good enough to go to the Western Conference Finals. They will, I think, yes. eventually get swept out of there. They're way better than I thought they were. This is a great Luca postseason, but also like good coaching, and the rest of the team has like you know, there's generally been whether it's Jalen Brunson or usually it's Jalen Brunson, but you know, one other guy is really good that's doing the work. The idea that, like, these would be lopsided series is, like, you know, that happens sometimes. You know, that, like, a team is hurt or they sort of overperform and then they, they wind up running up against, you know, some immovable force or whatever. That's not even the case. Like, it's not the sort of thing where, like, they're getting swept out in four straight blowouts. It's they're all, like... The teams are going back and forth with blowouts. Like in the Eastern Conference, right. it's been like that. That's, that is what makes it odd to me. We tried to figure it out yesterday. And some of the exp explanations, like they sounded rational. Like, okay, there's a compressed playoff schedule because of the play-in tournament. And I'm someone who used to complain all the time the games were too far spaced out. But when you put them every other day, even when you account for travel, 
uh, you know, that's going to leave a mark yeah. right? on your... And I think to a certain body. extent, that almost... I mean, again, as you, I think we're going to be doing this. Like, that made sense to me. Like, the idea that this is somehow, like, a load management thing that, like, a team finds itself down by 18 at the half and decides they're going to take it easy on their starters because they need them next game or whatever. That would make sense if it were happening. But it's not. It's not like the Warriors aren't playing, like, Clay and, and Steph in a game where they're getting blown out. Like, they did last night close with the lineup that finally made a, a push at the very, very end of the game. So there was some, you know, Nemanja Bjelica in the monitors late at night on the East Coast. But right. but at the same time, like, it's it's not that. Like, they, they're not, like, pulling the cord on it. It's just that, like, somehow the team that, like, beats a, a, their opponent by 20 points in one game comes out utterly flat in the next game and loses and looks just as abject as their opponent did without, like... There's no capitulating. There's no, like... You know, it's just sort of, it's happening authentically both ways, and it's really, really difficult to parse for that reason. It could be also that we talked about, um, it could be a, pro- a byproduct of the three-point revolution, where if you have a cold shooting night um, and the other team isn't, you're behind very fast, and your only, uh, your only recourse is to keep shooting threes. Right. But if you were cold at the beginning, sometimes you have that awful game, and, and the Heat had this in game four, yep. where... Like you, you're like okay. They'll get their shit together. They'll get theirs eventually, and they don't. Like a cold, there are cold shooting games that last yeah. like all game long, and they're fucking brutal. Yeah, that was one. I, I got to be magnanimous husband Davy on that one, which is not a role I get to play very much during the NBA playoffs. Like I do need they to know. watch my basketball, but in that one, it, when it was like seventeen to one or eighteen to one, I remember. Uh, but like just saying to Kate, like I was like, do you want to just watch Tokyo Vice or something? Like like big generous guy, like do you want to watch the show that we watch? Because like <laughs> I felt bad even just making her like be in the room while that basketball was getting played. I was like, this is she didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> like this is not fair. Did, did you watch Tokyo Vice and have you watched the end of it yet? We haven't gotten to the end of it. Uh, I, I'll okay. tell you that where we are right now, it seems like Sato's in deep. I'm a little worried about him. I fucking love Sato. They have not said, I don't think they've said yet whether or not they're going to renew it, but they better fucking renew. It's excellent. And I think that if they were to renew it and just completely sideline a storky-ass Ansel Elgort, uh, it would get a lot better as a show. Oh, yeah. It would be way better if he if he wasn't on the show. But, like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. I, I can like I can tolerate him because I don't actually think, I'm going to disagree with you, I don't. I don't think he does a bad job acting. He doesn't really. I, I just don't like. I just think he's at miscast. Him. Yeah, I think he's. Well, I think first of all, I think the role. It's not unlike inventing Anna, where I don't really give a fuck about the journalist. Like mm-hmm. I only care about the criminal, and and then for you know for Elgort, he seems miscast anyway. Like you cast James Caan as that journalist, and he's like you know he smokes all day, and he's he's got you know he's got pit stains on his like short sleeve button down and shit like that. Then I got. Then I got some interest going on. But you got a guy who looks like every guy I went to Colby with. That's, it's just the gravity is not going to yeah, quite Yeah, like he looks there. like a guy that hatched out of an egg in a Vineyard Vine store. Like, and that's fine, I guess, for the, the character to a certain extent. Because the real Jake Adelstein that the story is based on is like, is a, he's like a hat guy with Marfans and like maybe a, like half a sociopath. Like just going off the one New Yorker story about him. Yeah, like a possible fabulous, yes. right? And so, like, to a certain extent, you would want an uncanny guy there. My issue is just that I don't like watching Elgort do stuff. His performance has gotten, <laughs> like, it's grown on me a little bit. Like, he's sort of, like, his choices are making more sense. But, yeah, if you got rid of him and it was just, you know, brooding Sato driving around Tokyo. There's just one whole episode that was, like, a like a Grand Theft Auto game where these guys just driving around at night. Like, I would watch Ooh, yeah. that over and over again. Yeah, because when you have Elgort going up, like, staring down, like, like mob bosses, like who, who just have way more gravitas than he does. It's like these people aren't gonna, like no one's gonna concede anything to this motherfucker. Right. Like no mob boss could. Like they do they that. live in a world where great. the name Ansel Elgort is even more ridiculous than it is in the world that you and I live in. Like, this is not. <laughs> it's do not bring that shit to Tozawa. Uh, let's get to the stupid shit. We're gonna remember a guy, and I think I. I think my reservoir of guys is drying up, Ross. Well, I, I you know I'm here if you need help. 
I think we remember this guy before. It's Todd Zeal. You remember Todd Zeal? Yeah. I don't remember if we remembered Todd Zeal, but I for sure remember Todd Zeal. He's, uh, <laughs> That's right. Let's remember remembering some guys. We've definitely crossed that threshold a few times. Uh, the, yeah, I've, I've definitely remembered Kent Tacolby like 900 times. Who wouldn't want to remember Kent Tacolby? He looked like he was 51 years old. He had the big uh, the glasses that looked like the portholes on a cruise ship. Where the big yeah. the boxy cake box pirates had. So, do you remember Todd Zeal as a player at all? Yeah, he was very good. He was a third baseman. He was fantastic. Yeah, right? good. Didn't good he met. play also? F- yeah, didn't he play for the Cardinals at one point? Yeah. Too? So the Cardinals was when that was his uh, his first major league organization out of what would wind up being many. And I remember those cards. This is the part where it's going to start to give you deja vu. So the first year that Score made baseball cards. They were in a sort of a clear plastic, you know, that had some designs on it and stuff. But you could see the card through the back of the pack, what the card was at the very, um, you know, back of any retail pack of score. And Todd Zeal was one of the only cards in that set, maybe the only one that had the black border on it. So you could always tell if there's a Todd Zeal on the back of the pack. And kids Ooh. would just go through the boxes looking for packs because that was like quite a, a big hit to get. Was, he, was the border itself... Uh, was it of value? No. So if you were like, oh, I got border card. No, they hadn't figured out how to do that yet. That was, this was, it was so amazing about baseball cards in that period. Like it took them, so this was like early nineties. There was a boom. I think it was mostly because like, you know, a 55 mantle was selling for, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars at the time. And so the way that kids and I guess a certain type of brain, uh, like an adult with a kid's brain also would look at this where they'd be like, I can't believe that Mickey Mantle card is worth that much. I believe that the same thing is going to happen to me with this uh, Cal Ripken Diamond Kings card where he's drawn so that he looks like he has the flu. Like that's like, (laughs) that is going to be my investment and I'm going to take a long position on it and I'm going to hodl to the moon or whatever. And it didn't, so companies can't be blamed for responding to that increase in demand. It's just the way that every card company did it, and including the new ones, they just made more of the same cards. So, like, what made cards... Oh, and what what more valuable, what could be more valuable than a bunch of the same cards right, right, could be surplus? More valuable than an Yvonne Calderon card, of which 1.2 million identical versions exist and are widely <laughs> held by children and their parents. So it wasn't until, like, when I worked at Tops, they had basically realized that scarcity was what drove it. So they would make, like, what you were talking about, where there'd be a different border or a parallel version or a version that had, you know, a little swatch of the guy's uniform pants in the card or whatever. That was, like, it took them 10 years to figure out to do that. And so the rest of it was just pumping these things out, selling them, you know, at 50 cents a pack or a dollar a pack, and then, you know, waiting for the bottom to fall out of the market, which it did. And so all those cards that I had as a, as a young fellow, including the Black Border Todd Zeals that I uh, was doing corporate espionage to find, um, those are all worth five cents. Great bookmarks, though. Going back, I, uh, I think if we can bring back mom jeans, which we have, surely we can bring back molester glasses on baseball players. Yes. Like, I, f- I feel like that's way overdue. There's already a lot of, you see, um, every team now has a reliever that's just got like a straight like Rod Farva mustache, like just, you know, kind of classic. Yeah, but that's pretty standard. It is. Quite but, standard, really. But it was, there was a period of time where that wasn't it. There was a, you know, for a while they would have, you know, goatees or there'd be like a beard guy or, you know, there's still some wet guys, although I feel like that's weirdly less popular now than it was just a few years ago. You know what it is? If you have the mustache and a double chin. Yes. Then I'm, then yeah. I'm on board. But I think you're right that there should definitely be like, you know, to the extent that you see guys wearing glasses now, they're like, you know, kind of rec specky, you know, like they're like not glasses that you would uh, be surprised someone was playing sports in. Whereas like the ones yeah, that we're talking about, they don't look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like the ones that we're talking about are basically like, it's like Sally, Jesse, Raphael sized lenses. Yeah, clear yeah. Frame, you know, like, like wire. Like, I'm talking about glasses that, like, announce to everybody that you are responsible for every Amber Alert in the area. <laughs> like, that, those kinds of, the ones I had in fucking fourth grade. Like, yeah. that's the shit I'm talking about. I always wondered why it was necessary to make glasses that are, like, six times. Like, they basically, like, you need the entire top part of your face to be covered by lenses in case you're looking anywhere. I don't think that's how vision works. But <laughs> I do. I, I mean, I'll have moments where, like, Someone could be in my periphery, and it, it it is not within the 
parameters of the lens itself. But it's not like I don't spend most of my time peripherally staring at like blimps in the sky. Like, yeah. It's not really that big of an issue. But I would, lo- I would love that for you. Uh, oh, no. Let's go, to the, let's go to the fun bag. Cappy writes in, and this, this becomes hilarious. It's, it's a good question, but then his, his example is, is quite funny. Cappy says, what's your biggest I missed my opportunity moment you've ever had? Mine was when I saw the lead singer of Flogging Molly and his wife, the fiddle player, <laughs> walking to their gate in JFK while I was standing in line to board my plane. <laughs> I should have left the line to say how much I loved their band. I have a tattoo of their lyrics, but I was scared I'd miss the plane, so all I did was tell my wife, hey, that's the lead singer of Floggy Molly and his wife, like a doofus. I'm never going to have that opportunity again. Cappy, I feel like surely there is a bigger missed opportunity in your life than saying howdy doody to the Floggy Molly guy. But he has a tattoo. And his wife. his values. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's a wonderful question. I really want to believe that this actually is the, like this guy's just gone success to success year after year, and that the one thing that he really regrets is that he lo- like did not have the opportunity to dap up like Jeff Molly of Flogging Molly. <laughs> it's like yeah, I never got to tell my dad I loved him before he died, and the guy's like, I didn't see the Irish punk band. <laughs> right. I wasn't able to like say hey, I love. You. I I wasn't able to say hey, thank you for the fiddle rock. Yeah. Like I think we've all we've all got moments where you know some something we should have said something we should have done the time you were at Chipotle with Ed Kowalczyk of Live and didn't acknowledge him like it's all you know it's a, these are these are the things that keep you awake at night I think uh, I actually I think I have seen the end of Flogging Molly in concert because like they opened for like Andrew WK or something like that and I didn't like give a fuck or know who they were so mm-hmm. like you go at the tail end of the opening act set and get yourself a beer while they're doing whatever they're doing and. Then you wait around for the actual person to come on. Yeah, that was how I saw Rusted Root when I was in high school. They were opening oh, for yeah, brutal. It's good. Still got to uh, see them play the song that's like in all the the uh, car rental ads. Do, 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 yeah, this guy knows what I'm talking do. about. So in terms of actual regrets like that, I mean, there's definitely a lot of things from, you know, like just interpersonal stuff, like things that I, times I was bad to somebody or should have tried to kiss someone and didn't or any of this other shit that that's my mine is like i could have gotten laid at this one point and i i fucked it up that's all of mine yeah entirely. the one that i will say i feel like might have changed my life but didn't was that the year after i graduated from the college that i went to david foster wallace started teaching there and i feel like that might have been one of those things where taking a class with him would be good like that might have helped me as a writer but i also think that i was enough of an idiot at that time that I like sort of derangedly like viewed him as a a peer of sorts that there was not, I don't think that I would have gotten much out of it. I would have been like, Oh, well the guy in the bandana knows how to write a sentence, but I don't, I'm wearing a hat by the way, like a normal guy that like, I think that, that, that there was a ceiling on it. This is the thing with regrets is that you, you wind up missing these opportunities because you're not ready for whatever reason to, take them at the time. And then, you know, the part that you're really regretting beyond the not getting laid when you should have gotten laid part is like that you weren't the person you'd later become at that moment. So my my wish for this guy is that uh, now that he knows how he would respond to the flogging Molly guy if he saw him in an airport, he gets another bite at the apple. I uh, I think that the, you know, the most, of the most of the missed opportunities in your life are going to be ones you weren't even aware were missed opportunities. Yeah. That's sort of the blessing of it. You mm-hmm. know? Like Maybe if I'd stayed five minutes into that meeting. Like, I remember, so for example, I went to Comic-Con in San Diego once uh, to plug. It was I think it was the Postmortal when it came out. And there was, a, there was like, uh, the publisher was throwing a drinks party in a bar for, like, all their authors, not just mine. And so I go up, I have a drink. But I, I have jet lag, I miss my wife and kids, and I'm like, ah, I'm going to go back to the hotel room. Like, one or two hours later, George R. R. Martin shows up and fucking just rages out with everybody, and they all stay out till two in the morning. Oh, man. Getting shit-faced with George R. R. Martin while he's not writing The Winds of Winter. Yep. And that would have been, yeah, that would have been a good time. I haven't but listened to it yet, but he's apparently on Brian Curtis's podcast this week just talking about the Jets. I kind of like that. Talking to NFL with George R. R. Martin is really like, yeah, getting loaded with him is fine. But the idea of you and him just like breaking down Braxton Berrios and Corey Davis's next, like uh, their upside going forward, I think would be a conversation you would have enjoyed. You know, an opportunity that I, I just missed was I, I profiled Alex Honnold and I was talking to him 
And he said, you know, I, I usually don't trust hospitals. I, I was never inside of them and, you know, always tried to sort of, I always try, if I had a problem, I, I always wanted to rely sort of on myself first for that sort of stuff. And I was going to follow up with, okay, well then have you been vaccinated? But I, did, I didn't have the yeah. stones to ask him because it would have destroyed the entire interview and, and he would have walked away. Yeah, you can't And also he's probably, inter- he's probably vaccinated anyway because he has a responsible wife. So yeah. I could, I think what you're saying, though, about the idea of, like, not knowing, I, I find that kind of, like, it makes it easier for me. Like, there's been very few times yeah. where I was, like, presented with a binary choice. I mean, there's been a few, but whereas, like, there's a thing you either do something or you don't. And I just, like, you know, thought it over and did the cowardly thing. Like, I've done that. But it, very few times have I done it, like, consciously. Like, I've certainly, yeah. like, as many of those bad decisions as I've made, it's like, I think... The thing that kind of gets you off the hook and lets you rest is that I didn't know I was making that decision at the time. Also, yeah, I just think blowing it with a girl just sticks with you more than anything else. Because, like, you know, there were moments. And by the way, I'm happily married now. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want to go back. But like, there were moments where, like, it was clear the girl was interested in me, and I said or did something and failed in the moment, and which means it was never meant to be anyway. But that's not how my memory thinks about it. Yeah. Memory's like, oh, all you had to do was just kiss the girl or something like that. Oh. Yeah, there's definitely, a, there's a part of, it, for me, again, same sort of thing. Like, I don't want a life that's different than the life that I have right now. Like, I'm, I'm lucky and I'm happy. But there's still a part of me that just, you know, maybe this is from watching too many dumb, badly played sports games in my life. I just don't appreciate it on the level of execution. Like, I can go back over that in my head and be like, you got to finish that. Like you got, to, you know, which is, I have to be better. Right. We have to be better. Yep. I am who I thought I was, and I let myself off the hook. Steve writes in on a given day, where is more alcohol consumed? In a major American airport like LAX or O'Hare, or an NFL stadium during a game for a popular team like the Cowboys or Packers or Patriots? I think I this has a definitive answer, Roth. But I want to hear you first. So, I sort of feel like it would. Be an airport because there's more people going through it. I think it. I think it's a thousand percent an airport. Yeah. Like, that said, I, I think I've been in enough airports and seen enough people drink in airports to know. I've not ever been a comfortable enough flyer to do that. I don't think I've ever had a second drink in an airport. That's why. Well, that is why I have been told people drink. Yeah. At like nine a.m. at an airport, they're like, "Well, they're uneasy flyers," and you know what? That's bullshit. They're probably all alcoholics. Right. I was going <laughs> to say. I, like, I I know like. Any excuse you can come up with to drink, if you like drinking, you that's the one you use. Yeah. Instead of you're not gonna say, well, I'm an alcoholic. You're gonna say, well, I'm a bit of a nervous flyer, so I need eight tiny little bottles of uh, Tanqueray. Right. I can it's the same sort of deal with like, yeah, that's why I uh, drink so much at Mets games. I'm very nervous about watching relief pitchers. It's at some point, yeah, like, like what you're realizing that the through line here is that you like getting loaded, and then like you have yes. a kind of a sideline in like coming up with reasons why any situation that you're in requires you to be loaded as a self-care thing. So like an airport like O'Hare, first of all, there's more people going through it every day. They're drinking all hours, right? So like an NFL game, okay, if you, even if you include the tailgate, like it's still like the morning and then you know once 4 o'clock hits, everybody's gone. That's not true at an airport. It's just like it's 20 hours of people going in and out and getting shit-faced. And I, I, just, I just think the, the volume... And the and the schedule make it pretty pretty clear because again I've seen people drink in airports that's all they do like most people I know or a lot of people I know when they go to an airport the first thing they do after getting through security is they get a beer I've yeah. done it yep I'm never uh, this might surprise you as somebody who has traveled with me in the past I'm seldom early enough to really have a beer like I just get there and try to get on the airplane as quickly as I can um, usually I don't have much of a say in the matter. But yeah, it's not, um, I think the thing also with NFL games is that there's, there are some very, very wasted people at every NFL game. I think there's also, you know, some percentage of people who are less wasted. The thing that I maybe makes me think that this could be closer than you and I are giving it credit for is I haven't been to like an Arizona Cardinals or a Kansas City Chiefs game or like some of these games where (laughs) every year there'll be some story. It's like a Sunday blog or whatever, where it's like two different guys that dress up in offensive costumes at Chiefs games, getting a machete fight in the, you know, the 100 (laughs) section. And it's just like, that's, I guess like normal, like that's just how uh, it is at those games. And 
it makes me feel kind of prudish in some ways. Like I've been to Jets games and it never occurred to me that there was something that was that much more shit faced than a Jets game, but there definitely is. Yeah, and Jets games, like by the third quarter, like you're too depressed to even drink anyway. Right. Like you're like, well, I've I've tried drinking nine thousand beers, but the the ennui is not subsiding right, yeah, at all. I'm starting to think that the problem has nothing to do with this not being a strong enough drink and more to do with Zach Wilson not being very good. Let's uh oh by the way, I'm I've been told Zach Wilson has bulked up in the offseason. We love the bulk up. Oh, is he in the best uh, shape of his life? Uh, yeah, he might be in the best shape of his life. That's which is, great. You, know, th- you don't hear that very often in the NFL offseason. Last one, John writes in, when I was a kid, every Monday night football game I watched, there would always be someone in the crowd with a 310 sign or some sort of Bible verse sign. What happened to those guys? Do they not go to games anymore? Why are there not Bible verse signs? At NFL games anymore. I know, like, John 316. There was always yeah. John 316, right? Yeah, and it was like there was one dude that was at all of... It was like uh, he kind of had, like, a little bit of, a like, a Bob Ross-type, like, poofy, like, white guy Afro-type haircut. Am I thinking yeah, of... I'm not thinking... Yeah, maybe I'm think, getting him confused with Disco Stew. That happens a lot. But I think... Well, there was. There was a rainbow wig guy, I think, for the Oilers. And, like, it's very... That's... That's very 80s that it's like the most recognizable thing you can do in an Oilers game is wear a rainbow wig. Like yep. that makes you famous somehow. Yeah. Like the, somehow, like you were at that time when we had not yet developed the technology to mint famous people that we have today. That's, that's <laughs> they right. They were sort of like, oh, you know, like the sixth most famous guy in America, rainbow wig guy who stands there when uh, Tony Zendejas is kicking a field goal. The uh, <laughs> I do sort of wonder about that because I do feel like there's more sort of overt religiosity in the culture now than there used to be like that those john 316 things were it you know was obvious what it was but it was also kind of unique in that there wasn't that sort of stuff like just sort of in the ether all the time that i remember in popular culture what's funny is i never had a problem with them even when i was more anti-religion like i was like all right he's holding up a bible like he wasn't hurting anybody or anything like that yeah it didn't bother, you know, didn't inspire me. It didn't, like, lead me to that guy's personal version of God. But, yeah, I was like, all right, whatever. I have two theories on this, neither of which will hold water. One is that teams actually won't let you bring in signs that say that because they might be worried, like, you might offend other fans or something like that. But I know NFL teams. They don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. You, I, I uh, think, in general, you see fewer signs at games than you used to. That that was Maybe like they a, confiscate all signs. I mean, Dan Snyder confiscated signs back when everyone signed was, you know, sell the team. But yeah. like, uh, the, other, the other one, and this is becoming less far-fetched in my mind, is that Austin 316 ruined it. So, like, <laughs> ever since Austin 316 became a thing, like, you, you can't have a Bible verse up without people shouting, Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass right in your fucking face. <laughs> like, that would actually, I think, dissuade these people from doing it so they bring it in there and they're trying to lead people to the light so they can walk with the lord and people keep coming up to them and slamming two beers together and chugging them both at the same time it's like this is not what i meant at all you're ruining it brandon nix and chantel holder are our producers nora richie is our executive producer theme songs by kirk hamilton you can listen to ad free episodes of the distraction only on stitcher premium and thanks to roth and me you get free month of stitcher premium Go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DESTRACT. Don't forget to rate, well review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at it. And also, Normal Gossip is back. Go listen to Normal Gossip. There are special Normal Gossip subscriptions for Defector uh, people as well. So please uh, get on that. Good podcast. We will see you next week with a guest and a, a more buttoned-up version of whatever the hell this is. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Bye, Raw. Bye. <laughs>